0: evening ladies and gentlemen wherever you are in this beautiful world you need your daily kick of guitar wank podcasts and i'm bringing it to you from north hollywood california my name is troy mccubbin and i'm sitting here with the uh, incredible delightful delirious bruce foreman and the amazing the funny the extravagant scott henderson Uh, thank you gentlemen guys when you see i know i think most guitarists there's probably a, like a six stages you go through when you see another guitarist play and they're probably like oh, i'm better than this guy
1: that I would st- not be one of my no, stages. No.
0: No, when no, you first no. see a guitar player and then you run it through your head and it's like oh this guy's really good oh, shit i suck he's got better tone oh, my tone sucks i should stop it's it's probably a
1: now you're getting go closer
0: through. you're getting close
2: yeah <laughs> Then you justify why why you should still keep going. Yeah. yeah. Some people like what I do. Um, <laughs> my dog likes what right, I do. Right, right, right. Fuck, I've got gigs on the books. I might as well play them, you know? Now,
1: I, I've been going through that this week. A really? A lot. Yeah, yeah. Because because I, I find, you know, my iPhone sometimes does weird stuff. It 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 somehow gets itself off shuffle I don't know how it does that and I end up listening to a whole album at a time when I'm driving it's basically the only time I listen to music is when I'm driving Right. I don't have time to listen at home because I'm working on my own shit or doing something with yeah. the dogs or whatever But so I finally got my iPod back on shuffle, and, and it seems to be really guitar heavy this week. <laughs> right. It seems to be just popping down on the best guitar tracks ever made by everybody but me. <laughs> I'm really starting to get a complex. Man. It's like, oh wow, everything I'm hearing just it makes me sound like shit. <laughs> it's really pissing me off.
0: Do you guys, do you guys seriously, I mean, cause, as more of a student to you guys I mean we put you guys up there but do you guys go through that as much as what say I feel like most guitarists go through that I think yeah Yeah.
1: how can you
2: not How not? how can you not I mean you can be good or okay or even great but you can't be that good there's just so many different ways to cut a pie and guys are just playing so great and so creative and it it's inspiring and it's beautiful and it's so depressing and humiliating at the <laughs> yeah. same time. I was just gonna say, don't forget depressing and humiliating. You want you want, him, you want him to sound so great because it's so wonderful, and then you want him to stop and just suck <laughs> for a while, you know? You think someone like
0: Django or Wes, like they had those moments, like ah. Oh, what
2: did they I do? I would assume they did, but I think there there was a different time where they didn't allow themselves to talk about it or maybe even think about it. Also, they didn't have access to a lot of guys. right? So how did they hear about it? Well, maybe somebody played a record or they were in town and somebody they went out after the gig and heard another band play and were blown away by somebody. But it wasn't like an iPod and Facebook and YouTube mm-hmm. and YouTube where you basically somebody farts in Indonesia and we can smell it. You know? <laughs>
1: yeah. but, but another thing that I...
3: But that's just because the way the wind blows. <laughs>
1: <laughs> another thing that I would bring up is, is a lot of great players were junkies. I refuse to believe that that was for fun 100% of the time. I think it was just as much to medicate about feeling horrible about themselves. Okay. Probably because they thought they sucked. Yeah. You know, like, and a lot of great players. I've heard stories about Michael Brecker come off stage in a horrible depression, thinking that that, that he sucked. And that's Michael Brecker. Yeah. So come on, give me a break. Yep. If he's entitled to feel he sucks, I certainly am entitled to feel I suck. So but he's Jewish so, like me. We're,
2: we 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 wrote the book on that
1: shit. <laughs> right. So so I think a lot of the, the famous guys of the past that you knew were junkies, you know, there might have been a reason for that, that they had to medicate just from just to, to help to them get, get through, through you know, that that self loathing. Yeah. You know, which we all have. Yeah. You know, when, 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 you know, I mean, not all the time, but moments are moments. It's wives. Yeah, sure.
2: Definitely, definitely. It's, it's like a little sickness you have and it comes back and it goes away. It goes into remission. Then it pops up and it gets worse sometimes. And think weird things can bring it on. Yeah. And, you know, weird things get rid of it. It's just it's it's just being alive
0: what yeah. what do you guys do when you do go through that what's the kind of the the path that you guys deal with when you feel like that
1: i like to do crack <laughs> <laughs>
0: that always helps <laughs> That's straight to the point. I like that. Yeah, I
2: can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried it yet, but I'm open to it. You know. I am kidding, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really?
1: <laughs> yeah, you would never know yeah, it yeah. by knowing me, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what it is, too? is, it, it, You know, they say you know you shouldn't compare yourself to other people. Maybe that's true. But I like to listen to music. Yeah. It's like I get more... I get inspiration from it, but at the same time, I get my ass kicked by it. Yeah, yeah. So you can't just you can't just live in a bubble, you know. Now I have chosen to not listen to certain people, you know, for long lengths of time because I don't want to be too influenced by them. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a I think there was a time back in the early Tribal Tech days where I was sounding a little bit too much like Alan, right. you know. And there have been times where I you know. People have accused me of using my whammy bar too much in the way of Jeff Beck, you know, or Richie Blackmore. So there was a time when I just didn't listen to those guys anymore and just try to get up as far away from them as, as I could and listen to something completely different, anything. Right. Is that a
0: weird it's, ego thing for you? Like, on one one side of it's like, oh, cool, they're comparing to me. To those kind of players, and I never on the other thought side, it was cool. You never
1: thought it was cool. No, Me neither. Fact, okay. someone neither if someone uses another guitar player's name in one of my reviews, I just got re- really pissed off. No, I love this guy. He's a, one of my dearest friends. His name is um.
2: You know something bad's um, going to be said. No, no, Bill,
1: Bill, uh, Bill Meredith. He's a great friend of mine. You know, in Florida, and he writes for Jazz Is, and he just uh, he just voted Vibe Station as one of the best albums of 2015. And I love that and thank you Bill. It's great. Yeah. But he also mentioned other guitar players' names. You know, and I went, why can't I just be me? You know, why do I have to why do I have to be compared to this guy or that guy or influenced by this guy or that guy? You know, I just that yeah, it bugs me. And and all the time that I was in Tribal Tech, people bringing up Weatherport, every critic that mm-hmm. listened to one of our records and reviewed it would say, Yeah, these guys rock, it's a great band, this album is five star album. They sound just like Weatherport. Mm. Get their album. And I would just cringe. Yep. And I go, Well, you know, that serves me right for hiring a keyboard player that's a zonal clone. You know, <laughs> that's my fault, right? As a band leader. Right. You know, we already had fretless bass in the band, although Willis sounds a hell of a lot less like Jocko. Then Kinsey sounds like Zalmanal. I mean, Kinsey is Zalmanal. He's the second coming of Zalman. So to have that going on in your band, it's, it's no wonder people are comparing you to another band. But still, it irks you. You know, you just go, "God damn it!" You know, why, why do they have to mention another band every time they review our record? It's it's. It really... seems like
2: a template that journalists use. I think, in part, in their defense, to help the people who listen, who read it to get an idea of, of the general right. genre right that the people will be hearing i mean i don't i don't think it's necessarily a lazy thing they just they go well okay if you like this guy then try this guy and i mean it, mm-hmm. it enables them to explain something in less technical terms that people will understand so i shouldn't and take it so hard you shouldn't <laughs> but at the same time it's hard not to because God. interviews how many times do people ask me what I think of some yeah, guitar player who's yeah. way more well known than me? Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me mad because, wow, do they ask those guys what they think of me? No. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so you know, I mean it's like, well, great. I get to in my little my little chance to have a little interview my little, you know, postage stamp interview in this big-ass magazine and i got to spend half the time talking about guys that they're covering on the other 500 pages. So, Thanks a lot. So, seriously,
0: what do you think of J. Bonamassa?
2: Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Can we, can we cut to the chase, right. What? They do. Well, they I really think do. he's got a very prolific Facebook presence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they do tend to do that, though. They really, you know, and especially in reviews. They... They have to compare you... Like, I remember one time I got compared to Steve Vai. Why? I do not sound the slightest bit like Steve Vai, but as soon as I played a Wawa solo, I was oh, Steve, Steve Vai. Vai. And the guy said... This wall, this Steve Vai wawa solo that I played, and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, there's one of my major influences, Steve Vai, <laughs> right?" I was thinking about him when I played that wawa solo, right? Not Jimi Hendrix, right? You would think, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, it just, I just can't believe some of these guys what the, what they say or what they write. But you've you got a valid point that I never really thought of it in that way. They are trying to steer the listener to something that they've heard before
2: so, so that they can... Yeah, because know, if he, yeah, if if know, he starts that, talking that technically sense. and he says yeah. his use of legato sounds and this and that and the high gain structure, blah, 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 people are just kind of going... Right. You know, but he says, oh, yeah, think of think of Jeff Beck or Jimmy Page or mm-hmm. Wes Montgomery or Charlie right. Christian. Immediately people go, oh, I know that. I In, in their mind, they hear a sound that they can wrap their head around that enables them to understand what's being said doesn't make us feel any better because of course we're influenced by all those people how could you not be? We don't live in a bubble but at the same time what really makes our music different is our imagination and our sound and our approach and our, our architecture of how we've constructed all this music and these sounds and to sit and just oh it's like it's like Kenny Burrell it's like oh thanks you know what I mean yeah. God I could have just gotten Kenny it would have saved me a whole lot of time practicing yeah yeah
1: it, it, it's you know part of the very nature of creating music is trying to create something that no one has created before mm-hmm. that's the whole thing to just to just somehow squeeze some originality out of yourself that's almost I would have to say that's my main goal I, I almost would rather be shitty and original than good and sound just like someone else, right. so, so <clears throat> that's, that's what I've been trying to do for a long. time. Well, I've succeeded in it. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I've succeeded in the shitty part, the original part. I'm still. <laughs> going, uh... <laughs> but
1: but I I really that's why it irks me so much when when people say you know they compare me to something especially when it's not true. Mm. If they had the ears and and really heard some of the nuances and could compare it and really be accurate, maybe I wouldn't be so offended. They, they might say, well, this little section on this song reminds me of this, this could have been Gentle Giant influenced. And I might go, you know what, he's right. There's a Tribal Tech song I wrote on Tribal Tech X. It's, I can't remember the name of it, but it's definitely influenced by Sly Stone in Time. It has that same kind of groove. It's got that same kind of syncopation. And I was definitely influenced by that tune when I wrote it. And if anyone hears that, God bless them, because they're they've got good ears. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I wouldn't mind if someone said, Yeah, that song was influenced by In Time, because it really was. In fact, when Dennis Chambers first heard it, when I played it for him, he said, I know what you've been listening to. He oh, knew really Yeah, but, because yep. he knows that song. It's the funkiest song in the universe, yeah. in the known universe. <laughs> right. So when Dennis heard that song, he said, Oh, in time. He said, I know you were influenced by that. But that was one tune. Hmm. On on one record and Tribal Tech had ten records, so yeah. I don't mind that little bit. of <laughs> You influence. let that slide. I can let that slide. Right. <laughs> but when they say your whole existence is due, forgets you. But isn't that like the, it's the number one question? You
0: if you introduce one. someone to a musician or a band, they go, "Well, what do they sound like?" And then people just use references.
1: They do, so, right. you know. and and that's what happens when you hire people that sound exactly like someone else. Yeah. No. And I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm not the first one to say that Kinsey sounds like Joe. He does. He is Joe. Yeah. So when people hear it, they're going to go, whoa, well, there's Zawinol right well, there. And,
2: and there's also, it's really hard to sound just like somebody. He did it, though. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. I'll go, you know, and, you know, I sure enjoyed listening to you guys and listening to him.
0: I just wanted to remind you that you are listening to guitar wank podcast <laughs> and, and if you aren't enjoying it as much as i am then you're not enjoying it so
2: uh, i have to be here
0: <laughs> <laughs> you...
3: <laughs> I just, uh, I just...
2: Of course, there are times where, I mean, I have a song out called Blues for Wes. Well, what do you think it's going to sound like? Of course, I'm going to play with my thumb and I'm going to play octaves. And it's it's my little tribute to Wes. I mean, but I don't sound like Wes. If you'd hear, it's kind of like, imagine me dusting off an old family photo and looking at it. And, cha- and all the feelings you have from looking at that old picture, you know, how important that family is to you and how it's such a big part of who you are yeah. and have what you've become. So, I mean, that like he's talking about, doing tribute-ish kinds of things, that, that you, that's a beautiful thing that all musicians should be encouraged to do because... In doing that, you actually exert a lot of originality and individuality. If you, if you're, unless you're trying to recreate something like those guys did with that kind of blue record, I mean, I didn't play a, a, an exact solo of Wes. I, I evoked his memory and created something. Now, usually, I don't do that. Usually, I, I'm totally free to start. From, but even when I do that, I'm still bringing parts of all the things I've loved and listened to in my life and things that have happened to me and people who've influenced me, both from recordings and, and equally importantly from live people that I've played with, many who no one knows who they are. Yeah. And the, that's just what we do as musicians. I, I, you know, I, I keep trying to impress upon my students. It's, it's like playing the instrument is one thing. But really, your truest responsibility is engaging your imagination and saying what you have to say. You've been given all these tools through learning to play the instrument and, and what's been played before you to conceive of something in your imagination that belongs in this moment in time. And that's your responsibility as a musician, really. It's fucking date. Well,
1: you know, he's, you know <laughs> Bruce says, you know, I don't sound like Wes... You don't sound like Wes, but you do have Wes isms. Sure. And you're playing. And that's a beautiful thing because you've got Wes isms and you've got lots of other isms in there too. So, so the thing is, it's the combination of what you listen to. You are what you listen to. So, you know, you, you've got, if you listen to a lot of different players and that all sort of stirs together in that soup that makes you who you are, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's a great thing. You can't live in a bubble and just come up with something, or very few people do. You know, live in a bubble and come up with a completely new concept of how to do anything. You're usually influenced by a great number of people. What is that statement? If you if you steal from one person, it's plagiarism. But if you steal from everybody, it's research.
3: <laughs> that's how I look at it. Yeah, that's right? true. So, I look at it.
1: so you know, you just you know, I had to get away from certain guys because I was listening to them too much, and I'm glad I did, because now I think I kind of sound like me. But you can still hear definitely some influences you know but they're all over the place there's richie blackmore there's jeff beck there's schofield there's 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 Wes, even though i don't have that sound i listen to a lot of west montgomery yeah even some of the younger guys who you know kurt rosenwinkle is younger than me but i've listened to a lot transcribed a lot from kurt he's, a, he's taught me some great stuff yeah you know he's a, a wonderful player and and bruce too you know where i've transcribed some of bruce's stuff and learned some some Nice lines and stuff and, and some, some finger movements that I never would have thought of myself. Right. So I'm, I'm a transcriber. I love transcription. I love to dig into people's playing and learn how they do it. But I'm very careful not to get into any one guy too much. Just sort of pick and choose little tiny things from lots of different players to help build my vocabulary and still try to sound like me. Right. Put my little put my little tweak on everything that I learn, and
0: I and I guess that's where, from that point, tone comes into it because tone is such a, a fingerprint, to a lot sure. of players, right? Of
1: course,
2: yeah, yeah, for sure. Sound is is ultimately the most important thing because it's your voice. Yeah, if your sound doesn't project what you're trying to say, then you're on a completely false pretext it's just like you've ruined the whole thing i, mean, I would you're,
0: say you're, that sounding having an amazing tone that people love and being a pretty shitty player and then that someone being an amazing player with really shitty tone i'd rather have the
1: great tone right kind of would too it's hard to listen <laughs> to stuff that hurts your ears yeah. but there are
2: guys who have really <clears throat> horrible tone What's that and, 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 that, and that's their and that's their signature thing and yet somehow you find yourself attracted the whole thing like an ugly beauty like I'm not going to (laughs) name I'll name names
1: Mahavish Orchestra when they first started you know McLaughlin was playing through not the greatest guitar and playing through a Marshall you Mm -hmm. know and at that time in his career he didn't have a lot of finesse on the guitar like he does now Mm. you know he was a really young guy in in a crazy ass fusion band it was really good great writing you know and he had a tone that really wasn't that great, but it became such a signature part of that band's sound that it couldn't be any other way. It meshed perfectly with with the with uh Jerry Goodman's violin sound and Jan Hammer's moog sound, and it was just part of the, you just couldn't change it it's yeah. it's, it, it's it's the bible of of fusion you know yeah. what i mean it's it's the, one of the very first fusion bands that came to my attention and of course now it's one of the most renowned fusion bands of all time but certainly not but you wouldn't single out the guitar and go oh what great tone Right. whereas if you bought one of his albums today like his new album uh, Black Light and you listen to it and you go whoa that's a really nice guitar tone so he's, he's, he's grown yeah. over the years yeah. a lot in every way back then he r- really wasn't even a jazz player he's more of a rock player back then when Ma Vishnu came, he was playing pentatonic Now he can play through changes as good as anybody. He's a great jazz player, but you know, he's he's one of those guys I really respect because he's grown throughout his career and continues to grow. Yeah. And he didn't stay in one place like a lot of guys do.
3: Yeah.
1: I'd say the same thing for Jeff Bat, who but what who always had that's different because he <laughs> always had great tone. From record one he always had great tone. Right,
2: but you know, but, even singers, horn yeah. players I remember Wayne Shorter's tone when when I first heard it. Pardon me. I was going, boy, that's some weird saxophone tone. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's kind of nasal and kind of shallow at first and choppy, you know, and all that. And yet, the more I listened to it, the more I loved it. And his sound, of course, changed throughout his, his career as well. But even so... It was, it was not just this big round sound that you'd become used to. It, it, it had a different sort of edge and cut to it. Mm-hmm. And yet it was beautiful. And, and, and I don't know whether uh, it's because I've come to love the whole package and now I think it's beautiful or if it, in fact it really is, who cares? I mean, but there are, we need to honor all these elements and be aware of our sound and how it, how it blends with everything, how it stands out around everything, because this is our voice. Yeah. And unlike, um unlike most of us in our speaking voices, we don't have a whole lot of control over that. We can alter it obviously to some degree, but and singers can work on their sound and change it. But in gen- general, there's a lot to, to have happening with our inst- with guitarists because it's not just our hands and our ears, but it's also our instrument and our strings and our pick if we use one and our amp and the kind of speaker that's in the amp and the room we're in. You know, there's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, yep. and we need to make peace with them. <laughs> and fr- frankly, uh, I'm I'm a guy who goes through as if it's like a recurring illness. It just I go through a tone crisis. <laughs> I do. I mean, it's it's sometimes I'll like break through and I'm cool and, I, and my sound is what I want it to be, and I'm feeling good about it. And then I'll hit this wall and it's like nothing sounds good to me and I'm ready to change everything in it. And it's somehow I kind of work my way through it. I don't know what does it. I play a lot of different instruments. Fortunately, I'm kind of a cowboy, so I do have my axe. And but at the same time, I'll sit in on anybody's axe anytime. Right. And I go around to the schools for the Monterey Jazz Festival. So I'm playing these kids, like literally junior high schools, guitars and school guitars that have been in the school for 20 years. You know what? And amps. You know, the knobs broken off. You yeah. know, and and so I play a lot of different instruments. I'm um I've got a thing where I'm going on the road and I'm just doing a master class and a little concert and that's it. And I just really don't feel like carrying my guitar through the airport, try and get it on the plane, deal with all that stuff for just one hit. And the guy who's putting it on has a bunch of great guitars. So I'm just going to go and play one of them. And I'm cool with that. So But it it, it does sort of make me a little schizophrenic, I think. You know, I go, wow, why does this sound better than everything I have? (laughs) But I know if I had it for a week, I'd hate it. You know, it's like, it's it's just a thing that we have, if if we're going to go down this road to this ridiculous degree of caring, we're going to hit the wall with these ridiculous situations. I mean, if I were to sit and like, I, I feel like I need to go see a shrink about it. And and anybody else I know, any musician I know, my wife would just laugh and go, "Just lighten up, you you know. I can't even hear the difference when you play all those different guitars. You sound like you. It's just like, what's your problem?"
1: (laughs) Well, uh, it is an intimate thing that you probably only you notice. I don't even know if I would notice, you know. I'd have to hear you play every day and then hear you switch that little subtle thing that you do and then see if I could hear it. But everybody says the same thing to me. You know, like, oh, I switched this. Doesn't it sound a lot better? <laughs> they go, what? what? are you talking about? <laughs> so, But you know what? It's really hard. It's, even if you're trying to copy someone else's tone, it's almost impossible yeah. to do. Because unless you play and pick exactly like they do... Or play with your fingers exactly the way they do, and use exactly the same gear. You're just not gonna. You might get close, but you're not gonna nail it. Yeah. You know. I have this funny hobby, that that it's it's. I have a I have a, a digital performer file called Tone Copy. <laughs> and, Whoa. and it's just it's a hobby of mine. Right. It, it it's I've never used it in my career, mm. but it's a hobby. Oh, this And is when I have something that's... Out. It's just something that's fun for me to do. I enjoy it. If I have some time off and I just feel like doing something fun... Confession I get one of my favorite guitar players and I try to copy their tone. Have you got a list? Yeah, lots of guys. Give, give me some. Stevie Ray, yep. Jeff Beck, yep. Richie Blackmore, <clears throat> Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix. You know, could be anybody that plays a string. Now,
0: when you, when you do <clears throat> this, are you playing
1: their stuff, or are you doing original? No, 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 here? I grab their track, yep. I put it into Digital Performer, mm-hmm. and then I get another track that I'm on, and I try to adjust my picking, and my mic placement, and my amp settings, and my pe- get the right pedal, to try to get as close to that tone as possible, just to see if I can do it, <clears throat> just for fun. That's good for you. You yes. know, it's, it's good ear training, especially if you're working on frequencies, dialing in frequencies, mm-hmm. you know. I listen to it back, then I see how close I can come just for fun. And then I kind of know, I discover how those guys got their tone, where the mic was, what type of pedal was being used, where the amp settings were approximately as close as I can get. It's just a little fun thing to do. Yeah. And I think it helps me to hear sounds, you know, to EQ, sure. it helps me in my EQing. But I just like to, it's just nothing more than a hobby. <clears> throat> I throat> wouldn't. Say okay, now I know how to get the tone he got and use it on one of my records because it's not my tone, right? But but it's still fun, it's
0: fun, yeah, yeah.
1: In fact, that's why I bought those Janet tracks because they had a couple deep purple things where you could solo Richie Blackmore's guitar without the band. Boy, did I learn a lot from that! <laughs> that was fun, that's cool. I actually heard him play this, you know, some of these solos, you know, and you just get rid of the bass and drums and keyboards, and there's the guitar all by itself. And I was surprised how weird it sounds. You know, like very scooped, lack of mid range. And I was able to dial my amp to sound like that. And I go, well, I wouldn't use that tone in a million years in what I do, but it sure works with what they were doing. Right. So it was just, it's just something fun to do.
0: I heard um, tracks of one of Hendrix, I think it was all, all along the Watchtower. And it was an approachal session, and they had all the tracks broken down. And I was so surprised how not distorted his tone was
1: yeah it's I was like I thought it was
0: white distorted and yeah it's it was really clean
1: just sustainy yeah but not that Richie Blackmore too yeah he pretty much played through a non-master volume amp just cranked it up yep. and used a little tape recorder to boost the sound and uh, yeah it's not really very distorted but wow. it's amazing how sustainy it is yeah. without having a lot of gain
3: yeah
0: We just wanted to take this little time out to remind you that we love you because you're listening to guitar podcasts no you're listening to guitar wank that are podcasts that can be found on guitarwank.com
2: Wes Montgomery is one. Yeah. I love Kenny Burrell's sound, particularly in the early, in his early years. Just beautiful. Yeah. Those are two that just come to mind. I like Grant Green, that just that short and sharp kind of punchy sound he had, too, even though my tone isn't at all like that. I really like that about him. I love uh, new guys. I love Peter Bernstein's sound. He really gets a beautiful sound out of his instrument. Uh, and you know, I do this with, with my students. We do this all together where I call it sonic analysis, where I make them as like a little homework assignment. They got to pick half a dozen guys or a g- girl, whatever, people, players, and write down the basic qualities of their sound, the basic qualities of their playing, and kind of aesthetically analyze, anal- you know, like do they play. Is it a dark sound? Is it a light sound? Is it a punchy sound? Is it a sweet, you know, is it a very soft sound? Is it a, you know, is it a sustainy sound? Is it not, you know, all these elements of sound just to really sit and analyze what's there. And then also how do they play? Do they basically play with the rhythm section or do they kind of play by themselves and have the rhythm section just kind of play along as if they're playing the tracks? Are they interactive or not? Do they do they basically kind of stay within the harmony or are they always introducing new harmonic stuff? Do they basically rhythmically stay inside the groove or do they play against the groove? Just I'm asking them to listen to the music with that sort of analytical mm-hmm. thing. And and then I'm asking their aesthetic opinion of these things, and I you know I'm and I'm doing it as a teacher. I'm really just sort of, it's a it's a very uh, like I'm being sneaky, a <laughs> sneaky way of getting them to think about their own playing from that point of right. view. Because I know if they hear this guy and I say, this guy's a really dark sound. Do you like that sound? Well, if you do, maybe you should darken your sound. Do this guy plays really punchy. Do you like that? Well, if you should, you maybe you should get. Your setup working so that you get more projection out of your tone. Do you like the guys that interact with the band? Do you like the guys that just sort of seem to riff over the top of everything? These things, these questions answered by a young person, can push you in a direction of where you want to go. Without me introducing my aesthetic into it, because that's the most—that's the danger of a teacher. Is we walk in with our own opinions, mm, yeah, and and the worst thing we could do is shove our opinions onto them. We need to coax their opinions out of themselves. Hmm. So
1: I always just force my opinions on them.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Scott's way more successful than me, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. No, you're He's absolutely d- right. Scott right. is the Donald Trump of <laughs> yeah, the tar- right, exactly. <laughs> I'm the
1: Republican teacher, man. <laughs> that might my be... air, the
2: highway. You know
1: what? But you're right, though. But you know what? And subconsciously, you're doing that for yourself as well because you... You, you hear that, and maybe there must be times where you forget about that stuff yourself, because I know I do, and then when I listen to guys, I start hearing those subtleties again, uh-huh. that I sometimes forget that are there, yeah. and then you go, you know, it's like every time I teach, I learn something, you know, just because it forces me to, to, to put myself in that spot again, listen to something a little more closely than yeah. I did before, right oh, that's- really... Makes you hear the nuances between different players. Exactly. How do you
0: guys deal with... Because you guys have taught a lot throughout your careers. How do you deal with... Because I know when I used to teach... Just the fact that sometimes students... Come in. They haven't practiced, and they drain like the enthusiasm out of you sometimes. And, like, how do you spend a day of teaching and then go work on your own guitar? Do we playing? have
1: to talk about our students?
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> I just want to kill them half
0: the time. <laughs> Are they listening to the show? I hope they listen.
2: Well, I can do students. I got this one covered. You just got to trust me on that. Good. Good. No, um, no. The the uh, well, yeah, you have to you have to guard yourself. Yeah. You can't let them suck you down into their you know their own problems. And yet at the same time I I at the college age I don't feel that it's my responsibility to cheerlead for jazz, you know, get some pom-poms and go J A Z Z, you know. We like all a, would love to like see, that, yeah. like see that. Like a football game or something. I'd love but, to see that. But uh, you know it so, so it's one thong? of those Dallas There's, Cowboys. They're the ones
1: <laughs> outfits, man.
2: They're the ones that come to me for Help, guidance. Yeah, well, you know, thanks, man. Always here to help. Yeah, man, now I know what to do for Halloween. Why wait? Yeah, really, really. Okay, I'm wearing the boots right now, so... Um, So, you know, we we get them there. But really, to be honest with you, this music's about playing.
3: Yeah.
2: So I just play. Yeah. We play. And... That's the best thing I can do for them, is play with them. So I play with them, and I just play at the highest level, and you know, make the best music in the moment with them that I can. And, you know, sometimes it's better than... But that's... I mean, I'm demanding of myself the same thing I'm demanding when I'm on a gig. So after eight hours, yeah, I'm sure I'm beating up. It's like playing an eight-hour gig, but it's not as if they're just... I'm allowing them to pull me into some drudgery... I gotta got guard, I mean my energy and my integrity against that. Yeah. And if they come in and they're really a drag and they don't want to play and they don't want to be there, then I ask them to leave. Yeah, yeah. I don't tolerate that because they're not only shitting on themselves and me, they're shitting on the music that I love. And they're shitting on the memory of all the people who've come before them who've played it so beautifully that have you know you're now you're starting to get into my family and stuff here, and so I won't tolerate it. And, and obviously, certain things like you know corporal punishment, Did murder, you do physical to them, like no, I like to never. set mine on fire. You know, you know, well, <laughs> you know, um,
1: you just get some gasoline and throw it on them and set them on fire and then toss them out the window of the second story of my building. It's awesome, man. Are you still in the same room? Yeah, I'm in that same room. You were in in that long noodle. Okay? Yeah, wow. No, you know what? I have to say, I have I have two criteria. Yeah. You know, but before I forget this, we were talking about tone for a second. Yeah. Kurt Rosenwinkel, when he first started, his tone was really terrible, bad digital, just really thin. And man, what a difference his tone is now. He's got the most beautiful, fat, tubey. Earthy, just gorgeous tone, happening over like the course of about six records. That's a guy who really nailed the tone thing, but he didn't have it at first. Mm. Neither did I. But <laughs> but I didn't even give a shit about it. I was too worried yeah. about just
2: no. notes and rhythm. I made yeah. so many
1: bad decisions early in my career about tone. Now, after you know, after doing a couple records or a bunch of records on this crappy '80s digital bullshit rat gear and crap now I'm back to playing the same rig I was playing when I was 18 a Marshall and, and, a, and a Strat and a pedal
2: that's, cool. that's kind of you know, where just, I am too. yeah just back to playing the same gear you, you figure yeah. you buy good shit and just play it and, yeah. and the tone should happen but it doesn't always work that way Yeah. and I don't know why not
3: yeah.
2: I mean well, Guitar Center has built an entire empire on that concept alone and yet why would
3: it work for
1: me? <laughs> <laughs> that's like Homer's barbecue grill. When he's looking at the grill and he maybe holds up the box. Yeah, right. <laughs> why doesn't mine look like this? <laughs> but to get back to the teaching, I have two criteria. Okay. That, that's it. And it's as simple as this. If they don't walk in with a tape recorder to tape the lesson, then they're a fucking idiot.
3: Right.
1: Right. Then I just say, why aren't you taping? You know, do you realize that I might play some stuff that might be useful to you? That's like telling me I don't give a fuck what you play. Mm. They get kicked out of the room if they don't do that. Second, if sometime during the lesson they don't ask me this question, what should I be working on to sound better? If they don't ask that question, they're a fucking idiot. (laughs) Right? So those are my two criterias. If they don't do those two things, they're not worthy. Of being a student I can't in the if I first I asked place. I don't know. You probably didn't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't heard you play yet, so he's not basing that on what you sound like.
1: <laughs> but those are the two things. When, an, when a student asks me, what, "What should I do? What should I be working on? What are my faults?" You know, you just played with me. What are my faults? What are, should I? then I go on? Well, here's a guy that knows. You know, he's playing with a more experienced player, and he's asking me. How can I improve myself? Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to tell them yeah. in a nice way, too. You know, people get the reputation of some guys won't come and play with me. That Maybe they've heard some stories of me saying some something, but it's they're not true. I'm right. the nicest guy in the world when I teach. Yep, and I will right. tell them, man, yeah, you really need to work on your time a little bit. You're rushing and you're floating around the time, not in a good way. It's sounding like you're just not able to play in the pocket. So let's work on that. Or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. You're you're not phrasing. You're you're not playing melodically. You're not you're you're scattering all over the place. You're you're changing your ideas too fast. You, you know. What? To I gotta find that tape.
0: Idea. I must have yeah. a tape of us playing together. I'm sure. Yeah. I have
1: it. It's in my house. I, <laughs>
0: that's on your wall. You he <laughs> listens to it every <laughs> day. <laughs> you got it, I got it framed. <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah.
1: So yeah. So that's all I want to say about teaching because. Because uh, unfortunately, the majority of the students don't do that. Yeah. So yeah. I have to yell at them. Maybe that's where I get that better. <laughs> why
2: well, that in the setting of them on fire and throwing them out the window? <laughs> that
0: yeah. always did. that, that never no goes down yeah. well. How many students do you lose a month? I
2: mean, that's a lot. A lot. <laughs> well, the, the MI they get a lot coming through the door. Yeah. yeah, It's, yeah, where, yeah, it's, it's different where I teach. We're to we bury them. That's <laughs> the problem. That's the problem. It's different where I teach. We got to keep them alive a little longer. <laughs>
1: Stupid kids! <laughs> Get out of my fucking yard! <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. This week's installment, who we got, Bruce? Who we're going to add to the guitar when competing?
2: I would suggest Larry Coots. I think Larry Kutz. Hey, how do you say his last name? Coots. K. Oh, no. Coots. K Cunts. O O N. No, K- <laughs> it's not S- e. Can't we get your mind out of the gutter for one second?
3: <laughs> you know, uh,
2: Larry's amazing. He's a truly gifted player. He's got just a very unique style. He plays really rhythmically, does a lot of contrapuntal things, two-voice things. He studied as a kid with Jimmy Weibel, who's just one of my mentors as well, and also Joe DiOrio, so he's got this real modern harmonic way of playing, and yet he's just got the greatest time, and he's so sensitive, and... And he plays great classical guitar too. you can hear a lot of that influence as well and uh, he's just a really fine musician somebody everybody should hear if they haven't already. okay Larry and his father Kuntz. Dave Kuntz. I mean these are the kind of people I really held oh just the kind of like Anthony Wilson from the week one of the weeks before is these guys are royalty. I mean, Dave Kuntz, his father, is a great guitar player who played with George Shearing and lots of bands. So, I mean, Larry grew up, and the guitar was just in his hands, and it's just so easy for him, just like Anthony, you know, being around the music. It's just like it pisses me off. We have to compete (laughs) compete with guys like that. They should have their own union and their own booking agents, and they should leave us (laughs) the fuck alone. (laughs) Well, the Kuntzes... (laughs) That's
0: how you would call them, right? The Kunzes. The Kunzes. The, yeah. the Kunzes. The, the flying Kunzes. <laughs> 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 I like the Kunzes already. I haven't even met them. Well, so. they're really
2: nice. And they speak very highly of you.
0: <laughs> I like them. <laughs> All right, that was uh, that was a great episode. I learned a lot today, and which doesn't take much. But thank you guys. Really appreciate it, Scott.
2: I learned nothing. <laughs> Bruce. In all my years in the music business, I've learned one thing. Unfortunately, that's not enough. <laughs> Until next week. Thank you. <laughs>